Solidarity, but solidarity, brothers. This Brother is solidarity. This is solidarity. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah. So, hey, uh, Dr. West, my name is Juan Perez. I'm a organizing monster on TikTok, um, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, <laughs> and this is. Professor West, it's really great to see you. My name is Chris Lopez. I am your union brother on TikTok, Instagram, all the platforms. This is very exciting to have you here today. Um, just wanted to have you tell us a little about yourself. Have you ever been a union? And I'm really excited. You are running for president. So that is really cool. No, indeed, indeed. But one, I just want to begin by saluting both of you all. I'm telling you, your forces for good. You're so creative and courageous. At the same time, you got to style and smile. You know how rare that is to have that combination in folk who are fighting, yeah. fighting for, the, for the good, fighting for justice, and fighting for poor and working people. You know, it's, it's a beautiful place. So in that sense, you know, we're just extensions of each other. We really are extensions of each other. But uh, for me, you know, it's just a matter of a calling, you know, and uh, trying to be true to the love that's been poured into me, which means trying to tell the truth. Yeah. The conditional truth is to allow suffering to speak yeah. and trying to pursue justice. I appreciate Justice is what love looks like in public when you have deep care and concern for people. When you try to stand up, raise your voice, lift your voice, as it were, and be willing to sacrifice because it's all about service. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, so I'm a union organizer. Chris is a, a union rep. And uh, and we're like and our the premise of this whole podcast we just started this podcast at the end of last year and we're double downing this year to uh, to bring solidarity to San Diego and to everybody because we believe to get out of the hole that we're in our, our economy and everything is that unions and workers even if you're not in a union have to come together as a people as workers uh, to to fight back basically and to win. For everybody, for working class, for for all Americans, whether you're red, you're blue, you're green, uh, you're conservative, liberal, um, that's right. and that's, that's why right. we have the term solidarity back there. We had it made, and uh, and that's like the premise of this whole of this whole podcast. So, uh, Doctor West, real quick. Um, so, as a as a labor union organizer myself, I'm interested in your stance on the role of unions in today in today's society. Can you elaborate on your vision? For, for the future of unions here in America? You know, I'm very much a part, a small part of the legacy of, uh, of Martin Luther King Jr. and Fannie Lou Hamer. Uh, and what that means is, is that I'm, I'm an abolitionist when it comes to poverty. I want, I want to eliminate poverty. I want to eliminate homelessness. What does that mean? That means, first and foremost, treating people with dignity treating them with the sanctity that they have. I'm a Christian, too. I believe they made the image of God. And therefore, a fundamental commitment to organizations that themselves are deeply committed to the dignity of poor and working people. And trade unions historically have been the most significant organized forces against the greed at the top, greed of bosses, uh, read a property owners, but of course, like any institution, you know, you got you know business unionists who themselves too often compromise. You've got uh, you've got heroic, courageous leaders who want to put workers 
first rather than the bureaucracy. So do you, so they're like any institution that have these internal problems. But I cannot conceive of an abolitionist project when it comes to poverty and homelessness, when it comes to fighting for living wages, when it comes to Medicare for all, when it comes to quality education, when it comes to quality housing. I cannot conceive of my campaign, let alone my life, without trade unions playing an indispensable and crucial role. And that's one of the reasons why trade unions often are so directly attacked by the powers that be, especially at the top in the workplace. You know, Taft-Hartley ain't no joke. That when trade unions were escalating, when they were getting stronger, the attack takes place. I've seen that in the Black Freedom Movement, too. Once we get stronger, our organizational capacity gets deeper, the attacks intensify. And so what's wonderful about the legacy of Martin, Fannie Lou, and others is that they always understood the ways in which trade unions as sites for solidarity tied to working people goes hand in hand with struggles against forms of racism, forms of xenophobia, any ideology that loses sight of people. Be Arabs, Muslims, or Jews, or gay brothers, or lesbian sisters, or trans, anybody who's vulnerable, there is a moral dimension, and I would even say spiritual dimension of a trade union movement that says, look, solidarity begins with we workers, but it actually ends up embracing all of those who are being assaulted and attacked in an unfair and an unjust way. Absolutely, Dr. West. I mean, Juan uh, touched on it. Our podcast is dedicated to the labor movement. We always say uh, kitchen table economics. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's how we feel about the labor movement. We are, it doesn't matter if you're Republican, Democrat, Green Party, Independent, you know, everyone deserves a union. And that's, and that's what it is. I think, uh, you know, Dr. West, I mean, we really want to just hear your thoughts on, you know, what, what policies would you implement to strengthen labor unions and encourage more workers to join? Well, one is that already on the books a variety of different mechanisms to make it much more easier for workers to join unions. And, and that has to be a high priority. Now, we've had some Democrats that talk about that. And once they get in office, they don't follow through. Mm-hmm. Yep. They don't follow through. It's no accident that right now in Florida, you got the right wing brother, uh, DeSantis, he's attacking the unions. He's attacking the unions. Why? Because it's consistent with his own class politics. And then he adds in the cultural politics as well. But it's almost as if, well, when you look at what the consistent bosses and the consistent members of the ruling class do, do the opposite if you're concerned about workers. If they're, if they're attacking the union so viciously, there must be something really wonderful about those unions. <laughs> yeah. Because they're, they're getting workers to stand up and straighten their backs up and walk with dignity, gain access to their wages, and then have visions of solidarity that are bringing all of these people together who would be at each other's throats in another context. And that's what I mean by indispensable. Indispensable. 
trade unions and solidarity of workers in trade unions. Absolutely right. I do believe that, you know, that in the end, we need more than trade unions. You know, you, trade unions are indispensable capital I, but you have to have united front to fight a variety of different evils that's going on. And you have to have coalitions. You have to have alliances. So the trade unions at the center of it, but you have to be able to have that kind of jazz-like flexibility and in sense of improvisation and say, but yes, it's also true that we're going to be in solidarity of these folk who are being evicted from their houses. Well, see, that that's, that, that's not so much just a worker's thing. That's human beings who are being evicted by greedy landlords. And so solidarity also includes those. It's just that you put in union a bus, as you put it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, on the union or bust so i took it from the bernie or bust movement <laughs> in 2016 so uh, so i was i was a delegate for bernie in in 2016 i went to philadelphia and oh, i saw yeah. i was part of the whole gaggle fuck and that's when i first got into to uh to politics was the Bernie campaign, and I'm sure it was the same to a lot of different people. And then oh, I was a delegate, for, and then I was a delegate for him again in 2020. But it was a, a much different kind of um, campaign. I felt well, the the pandemic and everything that happened. But I saw firsthand what the Democratic Party and and the Republican Party and everybody, the institution, basically the media, the mainstream media, how they went at it with Bernie, like really bad. They painted him as a socialist, a communist. Um, uh, whatever, a fascist and all this stuff. And I saw that was my first experience in politics. And I was like, wait, what the fuck? This is politics. This is so dirty. It's horrible. I'm, I'm over here trying to, I'm over here trying to be involved in being a good, like Samaritan and American. And that was my first experience. Then that's when I decided to get into labor because I felt that that's how I can fight a lot of this is by being organized together as workers, but being there for different communities too in the public because Unions are only 10% density across across the U.S., across a private sector and public sector. We were at a 33% in the 60s when we had the, the white picket fence, American dream, and all that good stuff. But then we started dying off little by little because it was a big old attack on unions. That's when cor corporations were like, you know what, we need to start squashing these unions because they're getting too much power. We're the ones that created the super PACs. The unions did. And now corporations That's are all true. over it. So it's so true. And, so and now we're like in this gig economy. And that's our one of our forefronts as laborers fighting this whole gig economy. Uber, DoorDash, Lyft. And and so for because that's the new economy that we're in, do you have any kind of policy in mind or how you're gonna deal with this gig economy that we're in? Amazon. You see UPS right now, they're about to go on strike because they're they're privatizing a lot of their work into third party and whatnot. So do you have any kind of policy choice or anything in mind that you're going to help workers um, in this gig economy? Well, well one is, is that uh, first we always try to begin with the truth about a situation. And we say, well, you know, where did this gig economy really come from? Well, it's 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 a class war that's going on and in the middle of that class war is an attempt to ensure that working people get as little of the 
resources as they can, given the power of bosses, to keep workers so precarious, insecure, full of anxieties, with cut back on wages and cut back on benefits so that their insecurity makes it more difficult for them to be in solidarity because they're preoccupied with short-term survival. So that the whole notion of the gig economy for me is an effect and consequence of this class war that's been going on. And the class war directly targets trade unions and workers. Why? Because the profits are going up, the wages are stagnating, and as they can like in, in at the universities these days, you know, you got more adjuncts with very yeah. low wages and no benefits at all. But to keep them coming because there's so many of them that need jobs, given their inability to generate enough money to sustain themselves. And once that becomes a dominant way of being, which is the kind of gigification of the whole economy, which is the Again, effect and consequence of the classroom. So you try to first just begin with the truth. I think that's very much what's going on. That's driven by greed. It's driven by greed. And uh, uh, so then the question becomes, what are we going to do about it? Yeah. Wait. You got to de-gigify. De-gigify, yeah. You got to de-gigify which is to come up with conditions under which there's no need for gig economy because you've got workers who are already being treated with dignity and access to strong enough and livable wages that they don't have to fall back into the gig economy. Absolutely. And it's almost uh, like misclassification for a lot of these work, a lot of these workers right. for, right. it could be Uber, it could be Lyft. Um, and they're not entitled to the same workers comp benefits or, you know, what if something happens and, uh, or and, minimum wage or minimum wage. Yeah, that's right. Minimum wage. Yeah. That's true. Here in California, we passed AB five in 2020 AB five was it 2018. It was one of those two years and it was to, um, for, for us to classify workers as employees of unions so we can then so they can then get disability unemployment benefits minimum wages and that kind of stuff and then once you classify as employees then you can then you can organize them and they can become union uh, they can join a union if they're 1099 or gig workers per se yeah then you can't organize them so that's why it's a big deal for labor here in Sa- in California we're in San Diego because uh, it's hurting organizing when the, the workers are not even considered employees to begin with. So that's why I bring that question up. Oh, absolutely. And you're so right about UPS that the, uh, we've seen uh, Sean O'Brien says it looks as if the strike is going to be inevitable. Yeah. And it's very important. I plan to be there with them physically uh, uh, to let them know which side I am on. Uh, we're talking about six percent of the GP uh, 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 of, of the uh, economy, you know, the GP of the economy. That we've got a major, major spotlight cast on class conflict if, in fact, this strike takes place, and it's going to be very interesting to see which politicians come down on the side of workers. Yeah. 
Very interesting. You said we saw the railroad strike. Well, I'm pro labor. I'm pro labor, but up to a point. Only up to a point. Mm, really, really. We shall see. Yeah, I I was saying that last year or two years ago about the pro act. You know how everybody Biden was about the pro act. Everybody was running on the pro act, and of course, labor is like, yeah, that's that's what we need is a pro act that'll make it easier for us to organize. But I knew in the but I knew in the back of my head and my back of my mind, I'm like, I know how politics works now. Even if I just started uh, being involved, that sometimes politicians support and come out vocal, knowing that it won't pass anyways. So, uh, right. so, so yeah, so I, I kind of I've learned that's all those lessons. But Obama did the same thing. Yeah. Talked one way, we put strong pressure on him. When he got in, even with Democrats, controlling both houses. Supermajority. Super Wouldn't follow through. You see why? Because working people would become an afterthought. Tertiary. We said, no, we are primary. Solidarity means that, in fact, working people, poor people are primary. You already bailed out Wall Street. You made it clear who was primary. Mm-hmm. You expanded the military budget. You made it clear who was primary. When are you going to make workers primary? Well, you see, that? that's the kind of pressure that has to be consistent and constant. Yeah. No, definitely. And what about the minimum wage? I know it hasn't been risen since 2000, whatever, 9 or 10. Um I know it's at 725 now. Are you going to, what's your stance on it? Well, I mean, you know, I was with my dear sister Tashama uh, many, many years ago in Seattle, and they pushed through that $15. Mm-hmm. And uh, as, of course, you know, working so close with Brother Bernie and making that $15 minimum wage a crucial part. I mean, I think this, it ought to be just a living wage, to yeah. tell you the truth. That's really what it ought to be. Yeah. Uh, that's even higher, but it, a minimum would be. The fifteen dollar, and you have to make that a priority. And there's no doubt if we had leaders that would make it a priority, they could push that through. They really could. Yeah, they really could. But uh, you see, the Democratic Party is dominated by its corporate wing, and the progressive wing is a kind of window dressing. And every two and four years, they come out and talk about concerning all working people, poor people. Black folks for voting rights and so forth and so on. Even, even reproductive rights, for example, which you know controversial one, but they could have codified that nationally a long time ago if they would have made it a they would have make it a priority. Voting rights as well. John Lewis deal. Well, we can't touch the filibuster because we don't want Manchin to get upset. Well, we notice in the debt ceiling that you made a deal with Manchin of eight million dollars, and the pipeline still goes through working people's communities generating more ecological collapse. All those workers are going to be paid living wage in the first place. All of a sudden, you imagine become work of interlocutors again. This is very interesting. At the same time, you expand the military. Right. There's always money for war. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to, to, you know, ask another question. You know, we're talking about polit- elected officials, you know, talk in the talk but when they go into office they don't walk the walk they say hey we're going to campaign on this issue and then and we talk about how they they backpedal you know so so why do you believe like you're the best um candidate for presidency and for like labor unions in the perspective of labor unions what what makes you stand out 
Well, the one is, I think, you know, you look at people's record and you see what kind of backbone they have. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, what kind of consistency do they have? What kind of risks are they willing to take? And who have they been beholden to? Mm. See, the most dangerous thing anywhere, but certainly the most dangerous thing in politics, is a free man or woman who's not beholden to Wall Street, Pentagon, Silicon Valley, any set of elites at the top. Now, that doesn't mean that you're able to get everything you want because you got tremendous opposition. All right. But it means you're going to fight, fight, fight. Most of these politicians, they'll punt on the second down. And if you're punting on the second down, what does that mean? You all know the rules of football. <laughs> you, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't push it as far as you can go. Right. Absolutely. You see? And then even when they punt on second down, then they want a moral prize. Well, you know, we gave a wonderful speech about the trade union movement, da, 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 but we still punted on the second down. Hey, we didn't, we didn't break our necks for you just to give a nice speech. Right. We want you to push it as far as you can go. And when you go down, if you're defeated, just like trade union movement or black freedom movements, of course we've been defeated. We bounce back. Taft Hartley, they tried to suffocate us. We bounce back. National Labor Board, they put the bosses, representatives on there. We fight and we bounce back. Well, you just have to have politicians like that. Right. And it's and unfortunately, you know, it's very it's it, 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 it's very uh, it's few and, and far between that we have politicians like that. Uh, and in many ways, you can tell I'm not a politician anyway. I'm just a movement person who spills over into electoral politics. So I can speak my mind and plan on wielding whatever power, pressure, language, action, connection, or organization. I can. How come? Because this is my calling. This is not my brand. These politicians have a brand. Yeah. That's the, that's their strategy. Yeah. When you when you have a cause, that's a deeper thing. That's a whole different register. It really is. Yeah, I feel like definitely because in labor is like intertwined with politics. That's just how it go so oh, absolutely so so here in san diego we're heavily involved in politics we're always out there in city council endorsing candidates all that good stuff dinners but yeah that's what i do see a lot of if every day i'm on twitter it's just trying to take a shot at somebody to look cool to get the likes and it's like everybody just wants to be a celebrity at this point in politics and not really having any substance with anything anymore i think labor is catching on uh, the new president from uh, you brought him up from the Teamsters. He's cussing out Amazon. He's cussing out UPS. He's going at it their throats, and his language is totally different than his pre predecessor. And they've been camp they've been campaigning since last year for this contract fight. Uh, they've mm -hmm. been doing a good campaign, rattling up um, the rattling up the the troops and stuff like that. So, I think now is the time for like labor. Now is the time for labor. Yes, we went from 33% to 10 now. But in the past four years, we've seen more strikes happen than in the past 50 years combined. Yeah, so people have had enough at this point. We're at that breaking point where 
like capitalism can't sustain itself anymore. Mm-hmm. Here in San Diego, the average rent is twenty four hundred dollars, when minimum wage is like sixteen ten here in San Diego. So you have to work three or four jobs on minimum wage to to be able to afford that. So with that, people in labor, I'm starting to see are we're going away from the establishment mindset to now. I see a lot of radicals, and that's why I'm wearing this shirt right now. The trouble, the troublemakers union shirt. Oh yeah, 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 yes. I like that. So I like me, that. me and Chris. So this is put together by uh, Labor Notes, which Bernie was at last year with Chris Malls, the president of the a- 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 Amazon Labor Union, and then yes. we missed it, but. Um, but when we went to it, the troublemakers school earlier this year, it was, it was everybody there, not just union organizers or reps or union rank and file, but it was community organizers, community people. It was people, staff from politicians. It was a beautiful thing, bringing us all together and for the same fight. And I think that's where we're at now. So maybe like, I know you say that you're running as a third party, you know, candidate in the green party, but, and we're so used to the two party system. But right. you know what I mean? I think now is the time for anything that might be a little bit different. That's, true. Um, That's exactly. We just have to respect people enough, respect workers enough. Try to be candid and tell them the truth. Yeah. You know? And, and, and of course, they make up their own minds. I mean, I'm not, I don't believe in indoctrination. I'm not a dogmatic, doctrinaire kind of brother. I'm a jazz man. You know what I mean? Jazz, everybody got to find their own voice. But you try to do all you can to cultivate other people's voices and hope that they, they see things that they hadn't seen before. All right. And I'm, 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 I'm thoroughly convinced that if people begin to see things they hadn't seen before, they'll begin to see how crucial trade unions are. They'll begin to see how fundamental solidarity ought to be if we are to live in a decent society. If we have decent families and communities, if we want to have a democratic society at all, if we want to be a nation among nations in the world, rather than some fallocentric, messianic uh, 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 superpower that thinks that it has some direct access to God or direct access to goodness. No, every nation is a nation. There's good and there's bad. I mean, this whole campaign is about Introducing America to the best of itself. Right. We'll mm-hmm. see. The solidarity you all are talking about mm-hmm. is the best of America. It is as American as the Ku Klux Klan. It's just that the Klan is the worst. Yeah. And solidarity is the best. Right. It is as American as jazz. Jazz is the best. Hatred is the worst. So that. It's just a matter of being honest with people, being candid with people, being human and humane with people, having some humility with people. And that's what you don't have among, you know, too many of these politicians. They just pose in it, posture in it. Yeah. It's, 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 it's so superficial oftentimes, you know? I get disgusted. No, I hear you. Well, I, you know, I do have another question, kind of change things up a little, but, uh, you know, climate change is a, is a pressing issue. And how do you plan to balance the need for jobs, industries like coal and oil with the need to the transition to like the, the green economy? Like, you know, it's a question. 
And that's a very important question because there is going to be a matter of trying to be sensitive enough to workers that let them know that there is going to be an economic ground that they can fall back on. Right. Even as they can no longer simply live in the world of yesterday. That is to say, long-term perspectives means that fossil fuel can no longer be the sole precondition. And if that's the case, then as you make the move toward what people have called a green economy and so forth, you've got to ensure that workers have something to fall back on and not just a little bit, not just a tad here and a tad there, but to get them to see that in all of our interests to come to terms with saving the planet. We can't, I mean, already you got bosses who are just short-term profit, short-term money, short-term profit, short-term money, and indifferent to the future, indifferent to workers. We don't want just short-term. We've got to be concerned about our grandkids and our great-grandkids and so forth. But we also have to be able to live our lives now. And working people have to be able to gain access to jobs with high-quality wages now. And so that's the mindset that has to go into conceiving of the transitions that are going to have to take place. There's no doubt about that. They're going to have to take place. But as long as workers don't have organizational capacity and don't have voices at the table, then you can rest be assured that what folk come up with are going to lead toward workers getting short trip, short end of the deal. Right, right. And and real quick, so um, uh, the approval of of labor unions is seventy one percent right now. 71%. It's at its highest that it's been since the 30s. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Even higher than when Obama was in office, which is kind of funny. But um, but that goes back to the now is the moment to for Absolutely. people to rise up, whether it's whatever, anybody, I think everybody to rise up. We see what's going on in France right now. They're burning the country down when um, they're burning the country down because – the president wanted to raise the the retirement age by two years, just two years from like 62 to 64. They're raising the retirement age here in, in the U.S. from 67 to 70. And I don't see us burning it down. <laughs> so how do you think we do you think we can get to that kind of level of activism here in the in the U.S. to get it to where politics, politicians will listen to the workers and really bend the knee to us? Well, no, each country that has its very different histories, has its different class histories and class organizational histories and so forth. But each one of these countries have circumstances under which power and pressure can be brought to bear, either by hitting the streets, hitting the jails, rebellion, or what have you. Now, in France, you got to add, of course, the murder of that young brother. Right. So that you got a combination. They were already in the streets because of what you've talked about. Right, right. But a lot of the massive burning and so forth is the combination of the economic insecurity and frustrations and then the righteous indignation at them killing that little young brother as he, in, in his car, you see. Mm. And, of course, we know that's the case in the United States, too. Right. You see. 
if we can get the combination of the response to George Floyd Jr. with the trade union leadership concerned about the attacks on Social Security, the attacks on benefits of workers, speed ups at the workplace, workers having no control of shaping the workplace themselves. I'm very much with Rick Wolf on this until the democracy at the workplace itself. I want the creativity, the intelligence, the imagination, the genius of workers to be at work in terms of how the workplace is shaped, in terms of the very ways in which the money is, 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 is delegated given the pr products that they produce. That's deep democracy. That's beyond democracy to balance. Mm -hmm. That's very deep democracy. And I'm very much a part of that tradition as well. So, yes, you're right. I mean, this moment is is right. You know, Shakespeare says rightness is all. And the moment is get, becoming more and more right. And you talked about that 71%. Look at what the polls say in terms of the openness to third parties now. Yeah. The highest in decades. Why? People begin to see more clearly. Mm -hmm. Both parties tied to Wall Street, both parties tied to the Pentagon. Who's concerned about poor working people? And an important thing that we have to just meet the test. You see that, that, that people are right to hold us accountable. We've got to meet the test. And you say, follow through, see our past, our present, which side we've been on, what risk we're willing to take what bruises we're willing to forego in order to follow through in our support for solidarity. Right. It's uh, almost like a veil has been lifted uh, for, work, for working people. And um, I say like the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. I, al I always say that. I think the foundation, solidarity, uh, kitchen table economics and – you know, I'm really, really excited that you're you're on the show to 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 let us know what your platform is, what what how you are dedicated to working people. It's really good. I just want to say thank you. No, but I want to say thank you both of you all because you all are holding up this bloodstained banner. You know, it's very difficult to be a um, defender of trade unions in the name of solidarity, especially given my lifetime. See, I've been at it for fifty years. You all probably know Stanley Aronowitz, one of the greatest figures. His great book of 1973, False, False Promises, The Shaping of Working Class Consciousness in America. It's a classic. Mm -hmm. He was my very, very dear brother. Mm -hmm. And we spent 40 years. We just had a memorial service for him. He just died last year. He was a talent figure. Mm -hmm. A Working Class Hero is another one of his books and so forth. But, uh, uh, but he and I, good God Almighty, we spent. We spent so much time in conversation on picket lines and going to jail. But Stanley Ronovich is one of the great, he's the greatest working class intellectual oh, wow. in the history of the country. It's time to check that book out. And there's been a whole lot of, you know, working class produce a whole lot of folk. They didn't go to college, but the college went through them. Yeah. Now, in Stanley's case, he finally went to college when he was in his 40s and 50s, but he was already shaped, you know. Yeah already deeply shaped and uh, I'll tell you it's nothing like it we're talking about the best of working class culture the best of working class trade union activity good God. when 
you all know better than I because you spend so much time right there in the mix with all of that magnificent imagination and courage. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, no, that's that's why we do this podcast, because one, we're the only podcast, labor podcast in San Diego. Uh, wow. So we're happy for that. Uh, there's other podcasts that are springing up, though, across the, county, the country. So it's kind of cool having an alternative to mainstream. I, I watch a lot of YouTube shows, of course. I don't really watch my news on mainstream because I know it's captured. But but real quick, though, let's I, I know we're going to get this from we're in labor. Um, we're going to get this question a lot. Uh, about about like having you on i know i'm gonna get it i know people are gonna ask me like hey so what's going on why are you bringing on a third party kind of deal i know i'm gonna get it i'm just being honest so what would you tell people that that are gonna label you as a spoiler candidate like i'm I'm all for democracy i'm all for everything i was in the marines i'm all for everybody running for anything that they want if you gain support and you gain something then people are going to follow you and that's how it should be so i believe in that freedom that we do have that every free person is a free person so what what but but your answer what would we what should we tell people uh about that about that question well, I, mean, one, I want to tell folk that um i would never ever put you all in a situation or a position where i'm trying to solicit your endorsement or say something good about me or nothing like this we are just three brothers coming together who happen to be fundamentally committed to the working class movement and fundamentally committed to solidarity. We could have a conversation in the barbershop. We could have it on your club. We could have it in the nightclub. We can have it outside the church or whatever it is. We're just three brothers coming together. Yeah. And so people need, need to know that. At, at, at the same time, they would say, well, okay. A third-party spoiler, what does spoiler really mean? Does that mean the Democratic Party owns certain votes and that people can't think for themselves? I come from a black tradition whose anthem is what? Lift every voice. It's not lift every echo. Amen. You know, an echo is just an extension of a silo. A voice is people think critically for themselves. So when I go into context, I'm not telling them, Follow me, endorse me. I'm a jazz man. I'm lifting my voice. I want you to lift your voice if it happens in the end to be a voice that overlaps in such a way that you want to go my way. That's fine, but that's you. That's you initiating. I don't own any voices. I don't own any voters. They think for themselves and they come down where they want to come down. Now, if the Democratic Party is concerned about workers, concerned about poor people, lay out your, your argument, lay out your program, lay out your practice, make the point. If it's stronger than mine, hey, that's cool. If I'm playing my saxophone and it's not sounding that good, if you got a, if you sounding like Charlie Parker, go to Charlie Parker's club. I understand that. I got to get my skills together. <laughs> I understand that. Absolutely. But I think they should also recognize that, uh, you know, almost 40% of our fellow citizens don't vote at all. Right. They've given up. Mm -hmm. I'm hitting them wholesale. They wouldn't have voted for any party. A lot of folk who would vote for me would never vote for any party whatsoever because they've completely given up in the two-party system. And I do believe that the two parties actually more and more stand in the way of empowering poor and working people. They're just too tight to corporate America. They're too tight to the military-industrial complex. But that's just what I'm saying. That's just my voice. You don't own a plantation and they, 
you got all the folk on the plantation or under your ownership. If they're thinking for themselves, a lot of them not voting at all. A lot of them voting for somebody else. Some might vote libertarian. Some might vote green. we, we got to get this sense of acknowledging that people have a right to think right. and follow through. Right. And, and that goes back to 2016 with Bernie. Um, like, I wouldn't have probably voted, but then he brought me into the political sphere. Yeah, I have, he did. I still have a Marine friends, and they told me they would have voted for Bernie, but instead they voted for Trump. Oh, so I was like, wait, that's crazy, right? Like, as in, like, Hillary didn't own those votes to begin with. They weren't even going to vote for her. They were going to vote for Bernie. That's exactly right. And then, but that's one of the reasons why I'm going straight into Trump country. I just did a, I just did a show with my brothers and sisters in Appalachia. Right. And I'm going there. Why? There's poor and working people there. Mm-hmm. Oh, but they got a lot of Trump and they got some members of the Klan. They're poor and working people. Yeah. I just want to let them know I care. I want to let them know I'm concerned. I want to let them know there are alternative ways of conceiving of the world and politics that speak to your wounds and speak to your lack of access to resources. And and, 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 and that's how we ought to proceed, I think. It was one out of nine, actually, I'm told, that had voted for Bernie, that, oh, that, wow. that voted for Trump, who had voted for Bernie. Yeah, wow. So... I have a I have a, another question. Uh, I there's a I was thinking about the other day. Do we really have a two party system? I was thinking about that because I think back in American history and we had well we had the Federalist Party, a Democratic Republicans. You had the Whig Party, and then Lincoln being the first Republican, and then the Democratic Party. And you know we say we have a two party system, but that's not necessarily the case. I mean we've had other parties in power and so what do we have a two-party system is it or is it is that kind of more of a defeatist term people are using oh it's a two-party system it's a two-party system what do you think well in a way there's a stranglehold of the two parties on the multi-party system it's always been a variety of different parties and you're absolutely right i mean abe lincoln was the last third party person to win and that brother set a hell of a standard. Good God, I mean, he wasn't perfect, and of course, never went to college. But one college went, two or three colleges went through him. And he's got Shakespeare on one side, his Bible on the other, whole lot of wisdom, wrestling with chronic depression. And what did he do? He becomes a statesperson, not just a politician. He becomes a statesperson, so that when we jump forward, present. We've got two parties that dominate, that make it difficult for other parties to emerge, make it difficult for other voices. And when those voices emerge, they're spoilers, they're demonized. Mm. You say, well, oh, my God. So you just reproduce the status quo. Both parties tied to big money. Both parties tied to big donors. Both parties tied to Wall Street. Now, the Democrats, because they have working people, and more people of color who are open, they've got to use a language of diversity, inclusion, and so forth. We say, okay, well, you know, we, we can appreciate that to a certain degree, but if your class hierarchy is the same and things are just more colorful in the hierarchy, the workers and poor people are still getting shafted. It's just you get more middle-class folk of color 
but they themselves can turn on trade unions. Yeah. They themselves can be incorporated within the culture of the bosses. So this keep the focus where it belongs, which is on how are you going to empower working and poor people? Period. And of course, not just here, but even around the world. Because I'm an internationalist. Now. I believe in workers in Brazil, mm-hmm. workers in Uganda, workers in Vietnam, workers in Israel, workers in, on the West Bank. Got the occupation you got to come to terms with. Workers in Russia, workers in China who are getting shafted and so forth. So we've got to have an international perspective when it comes to workers for me. Yeah. But this notion of being a spoiler thing, like, good God Almighty, here we go again. Is that the best you can trot out? That argument is as weak as pre-sweetened Kool-Aid. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, oh my goodness. Yeah. So the billionaire class has a lower tax bracket than working families people who are just regular workers and how long have we had this two-party system it's true yeah it's true i'm telling you it's very very true i mean when the Whigs dropped out lincoln emerged and the republicans and democrats became two-party we tried to create a, a populist party in the 1870s and 80s that brought together farmers and then you had the farmer labor party in 1924, Lafayette got 16.6% of the vote, bringing together workers and farmers. Mm-hmm. And that was that's the highest third party that we've had. Of course, you had Eugene Debs in 1920 and 1912, uh, uh, who got you know, a million votes. He's in jail. <laughs> he's in jail under the uh, repressive acts of the U.S. government because he's also against the war. And he still gets a million dollars in his sale. That's awesome. So much for democracy allows for a variety of voices to hear the voices no matter what, right? But it's true that the stranglehold of the two parties is just such that it tries to convince those of us who try to raise our voices that are critical of both parties, they try to silence us whatever way they can. Right. Whatever way they can. Speaking of silencing, um, so I'm a union organizer and I go out there and organize workers. I'm currently in a organizing campaign here in San Diego, organizing some techs. So my union is IATSE, so International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. And we set up the audio, the video, the lighting, and we rig up things in the sky for stagehand work, um, for, for, for concerts, for theaters, for AV, mm-hmm. so conventions. Comic-Con is right around the corner. We do all of that wow. at the convention center. And right now I'm, I'm organizing these tech workers that set up the internet uh, for these big old clients at the convention center. And the company is mm. called Smart City. And they've been doing, we filed last month and they've been union busting. Like this is a, a big old industry, wow. union busting, right? And, wow. and they use like 100 year old tactics when union busting, they'll use videos from the 80s, but it works sometimes. Because the biggest fear in workers, the biggest reason why workers don't join unions, I think, is also because of, of the fear of retaliation, of getting fired, or our healthcare is attached to our work, so they don't want to lose that. Uh, so yeah, there's been a big old union busting campaign with these workers, the management's pulling them in, telling them the union's a third party, 
uh, we're only in there for the dues to get rich, that kind of stuff. And um, they've got the nerve to say that the union leaders are concerned about money and yeah. big salaries. And, yeah. Well, I hope those CEOs are in on that meeting. Good God yeah. Almighty, the floor would just drop the moment they said the word. At the, the, the thickness of the lies and mendacity at work there. So just two things. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So two things. I was wondering if I can get you to give these workers a shout out just to take that clip and, and show it to them like, hey, man, you're not alone. We got your back. Well, our union has their back, of course. San Diego Labor has their back. But it'd be kind of cool to have like a national figure that's running for, for president to have their back. Um, this is uh, this is going to be the first city to organize with this company. So hopefully it sets a domino effect across the country. Um, the company is called Smart City. So I was wondering if you can just give them a quick shout out. Maybe Our vote actually is next Friday, the 7th. We have our vote coming up. So, and these are the workers at Smart correct, City, huh? Correct. Yes, yes. I'd like to say a word, a strong word, to my precious brothers and sisters who are the workers at Smart City. I want you to know that I and so many others will never, ever forget or view you as an afterthought. You are at the center of not just this campaign, you're at the center of who we are in the country. The country can't make it without workers. The country cannot proceed without the courage, the imagination, the intelligence of workers, and that includes workers at Smart City. So let never forget that I stand in solidarity with you, Juan stands, Chris stands, so many do stand. And in the end, it's about your humanity. It's about your dignity. And it's about your precious families. Stand tall, be free, and remain in genuine solidarity with workers. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank so, you very much. Thank you very much. I'm sure they would appreciate it, too. Um, so, yeah, so we're almost coming up on an hour. I know we only got you for an hour. Do you have any last words you would like to drop on this Union or Bus podcast? Only labor podcast in San Diego, <laughs> we say. Yeah, we're, we're coming up. We have 37 subscribers on YouTube. But I, I have a feeling it's going to spring up. <laughs> In Southeast San Diego, just a couple of weeks ago, at Lincoln High School and at the City College there. Oh, wow. I went to see Yeah, with Brother Aaron and the others doing magnificent work there, pillars in the community. But uh, for me, I want to end where I began. A genuine salute to both of you being in the language of the great John Coltrane, forces for good. And when you're a force for good, keep your smile and your style and your courage, and you're never surprised by setback. You're never paralyzed by despair. And when you're feeling fearful, always know that love and light can break the back of fear. When you get enough love, you get enough light, you're on the way to something called solidarity. That's a new commercial. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's, what we That's, That's, it. That's what we talk about. That's it. That's it right there. That's, That's it. it.
That's it. I got goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Dr. West, thank you so much for joining us. Good luck with everything. Um, we'd love to have you back on, maybe check in with you in a few months to see how things are going. But Do not hesitate and just stay strong. And uh, God bless you and your loved ones, your precious family. Thank you, you know, because you live in these, these days where you got to be able to keep those deep connections as rich as they can be. But salute you. I'm going to have to run this next Zoom. Take good care now. Goodbye. Bye, Dr. Thank you so Thank you. Bye. For all this time. Definitely. Thank you so much. We just had uh, Dr. West uh, was in one of my favorite movies, The Matrix. The Matrix, the first one. You know, I wanted to talk about interdimensional philosophy, but, you know, of course, this is Union or Bus, and we're talking about the labor moment. I, I had one last one, but I couldn't throw it in there, and then I forgot about it, and then I remembered about it. I wanted to ask him, like, I believe that we're, like, people are waking up, so maybe people are taking the red pill. Oh, yeah, I wanted to throw that in there, but I was like, "Fuck, yeah, that would have been sick," and he would have probably went, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> "That was cool." Well, I, I, I thought he nailed it. Um, I don't think there's any doubt that he is how uh, pro union. I've, I've never heard a person uh, running for office say the things that he did. I think this is, I think this is like a historical moment. Yeah. Not only for uh, Union or Bus, the podcast, oh, but for on, the man. country. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. I think we got this, dude. I think it's awesome that he would. He probably didn't even check how many subscribers we have on YouTube. He just, they just said yes. Yeah. And, and, and it's because he's that real to where he's not going to be like, I'm going to get caught. And we didn't even send him the questions. No. He didn't even ask for them. So because he's that real and genuine he's gonna say the exact same thing he'll say to us that he's been saying forever he's consistent well i and i think like right now uh, labor is rising we see the stars around the country you know chris smalls you have you know sarah Sarah nelson Nelson, you have uh, sean Sean you know from the team yeah sean bryan from the teamsters i mean people are just really kind of gravitating towards um authenticity and there's no doubt that uh, Professor West, completely authentic, you know, being able just to come on a podcast, just two guys from from San Diego wearing, you know, T-shirts, you know, it's just it, 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 it's real. And I think that people miss that. Well, maybe uh, Cornell West got the Juan and Chris bump. Oh, yeah. You maybe. imagine that? Hey, everybody. Juan Perez, Organizing Monster. I'm Chris Lopez, your union brother on TikTok. And everything costs money, so we need your money. Subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash union or bust.